Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This conversation is part of the series, All Things Saucy, Top Tips to Help Students Use Sources as Evidence. Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. <laughs> Hi, Sally. Hope Hi. everybody is well and Christmas has been good. We've got ourselves back together and done and dusted in 2020. And this podcast is uh, about top tips for supporting students to link source content to knowledge. Yep. And uh, so we, this is kind of a, a, a tricky job um, here, encouraging students to draw on their detailed, hopefully detailed historical knowledge when they start analysing a source. It can be really easy, I think, um, for students to approach source work in a formal exam setting as something they can do without revision or through little formulae that they just, you know, like, oh, here's an acronym. I'm just going to use this. I don't really need to do any learning. Um, and I've seen a lot of really complex acronyms scribbled in exam paper margins and made me go cross-eyed and shared on social media. But I've never found one um, that's effective enough to make me really want to use it. Um, about you. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I have given up a one size fits all writing structure. I just don't think he's going to help students show that they can link source content to knowledge. Um, I think we probably better explain that a bit, though, because actually I think we've been a bit um, counterculture there. But for example, last year I sat in the back of a class as an excellent trainee student tried to apply the department's PEE paragraph exemplar to the writing of answers to an exam source question from a particular board. And, you know, after the lesson finished, I didn't need to say anything as he just deconstructed it brilliantly, why it just wasn't helping the students at all. Because um, the rubric was asking for point evidence example. And what was actually needed by the question was a really big point focused on the question arrived at via two, that is doing the job twice, two lots of observation, inference, context. Um, so, yeah, definitely a first tip um, would be to give students structuring examples that accurately reflect the historical thinking that they need to do and not just something that appears simple, but actually is going to make life trickier in the end or has just been even worse adopted from the English department English is not the same discipline as history no really really not um and I yeah I think that they they tend to draw on that um because they're confident or more confident doing that and I guess it's easier than trying to remember it but as I keep saying to students this is you know when you're practicing for a GCSE this is a history GCSE you need to show some history off so you need to bring that um that history your knowledge into it um, and I, I think a simple way to embed this habit of, of thought is to pop a source in the middle of a page 
um, and take time to really look at it and then ask students to highlight three things that they can see. Um, and from each of those things, you want to draw a line. And at the end of the line comes the inference. So you might highlight or circle a smoky chimney and the inference at the end of the line is air pollution. Um, and then you draw another line. And at the end of that line comes knowledge. So, for example, coal powered machines did produce lots of air pollution, leading to many lung diseases in industrial towns. Um, so, of course, students don't uh, do that without lots of modelling to start off with. So, you know, if you've got that visualiser, now's the time to get it out. Um, but here's my tip. Um, it should really become a habit across Key Stage 3 to apply knowledge to what they see. And it really needs to be made explicit. I'm like banging the table here. Uh, so being aware that smoke causes pollution is applying prior knowledge. Um, and they, you need to make it clear to them that, you know, you've drawn on some knowledge there that you had um, to, to make an inference about something in the picture. And actually, I always do something really generic here. I'm sorry. I always use a really generic picture of an owl. It's a picture of an owl that was caught flying towards a motorway camera. Basically, uh, it's a fabulous picture. I just wanted to use this amazing owl picture in my lesson. Anyway, so it's daytime in the picture. And I ask the students if they think this picture is a good one for finding out about owl behaviours. And somebody points out quite quickly that it is daytime and the owls are nocturnal, uh, which is usually a fact that some of the class know, but some of them don't. I really like that. So actually, you're simply um, getting across that idea to students. But I didn't know that. So how could I know? You get students saying, yeah, that's that's really interesting. So you're making the, the lack of knowledge of some really explicit by using the general knowledge of others. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, nobody's going to feel bad about themselves because they don't know that owls are nocturnal. In fact, even as I say it now, I'm thinking I bet there are some owls that aren't nocturnal, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking about that now. So, yes, this this really makes the point perfectly um, that you need some knowledge to be able to make judgments about the source. And with the owl, we can then see that the knowledge has proved the content of this source to be atypical. Um, and then I can always refer back to it. You know, remember the owl. I just like put the owl on the board and it makes them think about it. So, yeah, it works yeah. for me inference really early on that's what we're getting to as a, as a key thing isn't it and inference diagrams as I'm sure many of you are aware are a really tried and tested method to support this learning at their simplest they have a picture or a short text in the middle in a box then there's an inner box around the picture the first box around the picture into which students write what they can see and then a layer another box around that a middle layer where students write what they can infer. So we're going back to the to the to the lines example again here. And then an outer box, an outer layer where they can write what they know that's relevant. Um, and it's a really good way to keep separating out that process, as, as Sal was just uh, uh, saying to us, that process of, of observation. It really shouldn't be rushed, the process of observation, then the process of inference, and then the contextualization. And I think those, those getting those three steps ingrained, do you, do you agree, Sal? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think those inference diagrams can be really powerful. Um, and I think you, you should always use a source as evidence for a purpose and always be looking and inferring and connecting for a reason. And don't just use exam question stems because, you know, it gets really dull. It can kill the intrigue. Um, it just, you know, it makes everything about that one end point as opposed to thinking about what the history, you know, what's good history. So you can ask questions such as um, what did the artist want us to feel as we viewed her painting? Um, or why should you put this in a textbook for year seven? Um, those still support learning how to use sources 
of evidence and no one needs to die of boredom using exam question stems from a very early age and variety of questions I think can avoid students latching onto formulas without really understanding what they or the source mean um, and I think that, that this kind of variety this kind of mixed diet it really helps them in the long run and um, so students at GCSE always seem really quick to dismiss a source as not useful they make generic judgments that I've come to assume that they learn in English about language or focusing on simplistic statements about the provenance um, whereas if they've grown up being forced to say why a source is useful or valuable in a variety of ways, so selecting sources for a gallery or a textbook spread, for example, uh, then it should help this to come more naturally to them uh, when they're sitting it in a formal setting. Yeah, and I think we could play around with the inference diagrams too, because don't want them to become something boring and stayed and just a process either. Ian Dawson did a lovely example in a workshop with um, an artist's reconstruction at the centre. And the first layer was then, what, are, what can you see? Um, and the next layer was, I loved this, what did the archaeologist show the artist? And then the next layer was, how did wider knowledge of the past inform them both? Mm. Um and that, again, same sort of idea, but it's just coming at it in a slightly different direction. It keeps them nimble on their feet. And you, you can also use these diagrams in, in stages. So maybe at the start, um, an intriguing source could be observed and simple inferences made. And then, um, and I use this quite successfully with students a number of times, return to the diagram at the end of an inquiry to update the inferences and add the contextualization. And Again, it's big thumping messaging. Look, the more knowledge you have, the better you can understand something, which is nice message to get out there. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a real once they understand the power that their knowledge has in helping them to do the task, to, to work with the evidence. That's a real game changer for them. Um, I wanted to, to talk about uh, Paula Lobo's blog post on this. So she uh, wrote this amazing blog post. I'll pop the link in the podcast description. You can also, um, if you Google for um, Lobworth, uh, that's her, it's lobworth.com, um, multiple choice statements, then you'll probably be able to find it. That's how I found it. Um, and like Paula is a marvel, like, right? and and I think really what, what she suggests doing in this um, blog post is just incredible. So um, she uh, has been working with her uh, A-level students on the, the AQA paper two, working with sources um, and using multiple choice statements um, to help them to understand what good um, kind of good source work looks like and how to apply their knowledge to that. And um, what I really like about this is she's got lots of examples. Um, she shows really good use of language. So I'm looking at um, this, her idea about uh so if i sorry let me explain it a bit better so she will present them with a source she will make a statement about the source and then they have to choose the best statement for assessing that source um and it just it's just really nicely laid out um really really clear um she's found it really helpful with students um, to help them to apply their knowledge. And I actually saw her present about this um, at the West London Free School Conference a couple of years ago, um, that she did something for Key Stage 3, um, which was great too. So she gave them some multiple choice knowledge questions on a topic that they'd been studying. Um, and they so they do the multiple choice knowledge questions and then they flip over and there's a source analysis activity on the other side of the page. Then um, they need to draw on the knowledge that they've refreshed through that multiple choice quiz 
um, in order to do the source analysis. And I, I love that because it just makes it really explicit. Here is the knowledge you need and here is the source that I'd like you to analyse and you need to put these two things together. And, you know, I personally, I'm, I've always very um, reluctant to give students any information when they're doing something like this because I think oh you should know it you should go and find it yourself you should remember it but it you know hearing her speak and reading this blog post really made me think well actually you know there's there's nothing lost by giving them that information because as I started this very long speech by saying it's really important that they can see that there is a connection between what they know and how good their source analysis is and until they get that I think that there's no need to to withhold that information for them anyway so that's that's my like plug oh, for Paula go and read it brilliant sequencing of learning isn't it I just uh, uh yeah yeah it's such, such a gift so I think it's probably um time for first um well-being tip of the uh, year or at this stage trying to crank back up it's got to be get back into the knowledge nerding it's the 1920s from Gatsby to the first Labour government yeah prohibition to the general yeah. strike did you know as well Sal that prohibition everybody probably knew this but I didn't that prohibition didn't make it illegal to actually drink alcohol so dry January is <laughs> just don't buy it it's okay to drink it okay, <laughs> I'm so... gonna go anyway I know you've got a great pogo stick yeah. anecdote you want to share with me go on tell me about yeah. it so apparently um the pogo stick was sort of in well although it was invented just before the 1920s it became really popular in the 1920s twenties um, to the point where um, somebody taught they became kind of a national craze in America and uh, a choreography taught the the chorus girls of the Ziegfeld Follies to use them so they choreographed a show-stopping dance routine performed entirely on pogo sticks and I think that is the image that I want to leave you with today 1920s pogo sticking Ziegfeld Follies Follies girls going off into the 1920s. I can assure you the next conversation will not be on a pogo stick, Sal. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for that tip. <laughs> thanks very much. Bye.